everybody. Welcome to episode 59 of the Mountain Bike Podcast presented by Worldwide Cyclery. It, it was a solid year, by the way. Good old 59. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. I can remember it just like yesterday. <laughs> I don't know why it was a good year. <laughs> okay, I, gotcha. I usually have a good point of reference when I say that. There's nothing? There's nothing today. Okay, gotcha. I mean, there, sure, there is. I just haven't Googled it. It's my co-host, Stephen Lewis. How you Hi. doing? Good. How are you? Doing great, man. Doing great. I'm back from Leadville. Uh, and I'm Jonathan Lee, uh, Stephen's co-host on this podcast here. And this is where we talk about all things mountain bikes. And like I said, it's presented by Worldwide Cyclery. Uh, they are the spot if you need to get on, or if you need to get parts, uh, bike parts, if you need to get advice on what parts you should get, anything else. Yep. Uh, if you want to check out videos where they do head-to-head comparisons, they just did one on a shootout of the different handlebars they prefer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting because uh, Jeff, the, the CEO, and the rest of the riders there, they rip. They're fast riders. They do. And when they're talking about the handlebars they preferred in that shootout, it's much more so than just like graphics are nice or, you know what I mean? Like they're really talking about actually, you know, the, the way it performs under load, but then also the geometry and how it affects. Yeah. Your so your rise, your sweep, your mm-hmm. pull, everything, harmonic damping. Yeah. All so, the nerdy things that we do. Indeed. So yeah. they're not just a normal bike shop and that's why we've partnered with them because they are like to nerd out about things too. So check them out and you can do that by just going to m2bpodcast.com, go to the store. And then if you click on that banner, then we get a small portion of whatever you buy over there at Worldwide Cyclery. Uh, and then we'll be able to put it into making more podcast content for you guys. Uh, we're working on that special episode up in Whistler right now. Yep. And another actually special episode that's going to be coming up sooner than that. Oh, yeah. I do know this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You set it up. So uh, I will finally have ridden Downeyville. Oh, God, it's about time. It's, <laughs> it's about time, Jonathan. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. We're going to have like a whole documentary or not documentary, roundtable style discussion around the, the experience that we're going to have. We're going to do something called the Day of Descent. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Ube Expeditions there. It's going to be great. Uh, so they run shuttles all throughout the Downeyville region, but we're going to, uh, it's called the Day of Descent because we're basically, I don't know what the Downeyville part is. Can you describe that really quick? So what we're going to do is uh, the entire thing is we start at Ube Expeditions and mm-hmm. we all get in a van and we're going to go do the full Mills Peak downhill. Which that's in nearby Gray Eagle. Yes. Uh, about 20 minute drive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to do that. It's about a 3000 foot descent. Lots of fun. We've done it. I've done it before, but never ridden this new section. Uh, yeah, never so. ridden the new section either. Yep. So this is, and then the next trail. And then the, and then we'll also do the classic uh, Downeyville downhill. Yep. And I don't know if we're going to do just the classic downhill or if we're going to do the new, uh, whatever is it, the Gold Rim Trail, the Gold With, Valley Rim Trail. Gotcha. I don't know what we're going to do there, but we're going to do a descent from the top that's fully shuttled. Nice. And then we're also going to go over to Mount Huff and do a fully supported shuttled descent on that which i've ridden that one it's ton of fun it's like flowy roller coastery goodness if uh so basically this is going to be like a whole tour of the la sierra yes. like kind of the greatest hits sort of a thing totally. the la sierra yeah and we're actually working on prepping something like this and putting on an event for our podcast listeners to yeah. come and experience something like this and it's going to be like fully catered fully supported everything else so yeah we'll figure out when we'll be able to do that but it's going to be in partnership with nakoma resort and like it's going to be awesome yes. like you're basically basically going to live like a king for a weekend and you're going to have awesome tours. Uh, we're going to be joining you guys, even trying to align some folks to come and talk about nutrition or come and talk about different things too. So then uh, we can do the whole thing. Maybe even massages will be included, yeah. not by Steven and I yeah. will not be massaging you. And we're um, not even going to watch it. We'll, no, be, no. we'll be getting our own massages at that point. <laughs> exactly. But the, the plan is for that to take place next spring, summer. Okay. 
Um, we were planning on doing it this fall, but uh, it's just been too crazy of a season for me to be able to organize this. And so instead, it's next spring, fall. Uh, so what this is going to be is we're going to give you a little bit of a teaser of like what these trails are. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think if you go to Downeyville, you just need a really gnarly bike. No. Um, so we're going to kind of cover all that. So I'm going to take my scalpel. Yeah. No, I'm not actually. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, gotcha. We'll be taking my new Ooh. bike. We'll talk about that in just a bit. We will. Um, so uh, I just got back from Leadville. And if anybody wants to hear about the Leadville experience, you can tune into the Trainer Road's Ask a Cycling Coach podcast. Uh, thank you, Trainer Road, for letting us use your podcast studio. Yep. Um, uh, that's going to be going up. Uh, by the time you listen to this, it'll probably already be up, uh, but it'll be on Thursday, August 16th. Uh, and we'll be going over our CEO at Trainer Road. He raced Leadville. I did not. I supported him with our head coach, Chad Timmerman. And took pictures of deer and things. Yeah, I did. Yeah, Lots moose, deer. moose, deer, deer. Yeah, yeah. Um, all that stuff. But not anyways, my moose, though. No, not your moose yeah. dog. So anyways, uh, if you want to find out about the Leadville experience, that um, two quick thoughts on Leadville. Uh, after going there, I don't want to do it more than I did before. You want to do it less, actually, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's it's exactly what I expected, though, which is uh, basically, you know, a, a really, really, really hard gravel race. And it, a lot of that is because it's just so dang long. Yeah. And because of where certain things fall on the course, you know, Columbine's long, but then coming back, all the climbs that you have at the end are pretty tough. So, um, but anyways, uh, yeah. So uh, you can turn to Ask a Cycling Coach podcast for that. We are going to deep dive today. Uh, we're going to deep dive on actually a lot of the principles that we are putting into practice in the context of supporting a racer at Leadville. Mm-hmm. I thought, man, we haven't really talked about how to be the ideal support crew. Yeah. So we're going to do that. So this is more for the racer spouse or racer, just Friend, family in general, friends. Or if or you're whatever. a racer, this is what you should understand uh, when you go to help another racer. The things you um, have to. And these, maybe you can like kindly nudge your friend and be like, hey, bud. Listen to this podcast before you support me at a race. Yeah. <laughs> then, because throwing gummy bears at me at 20 miles an hour is not support. <laughs> That's exactly right. I've actually seen that before. Uh, before we get into that, though, uh, we should get into some news. What's yeah, we you? should. News time. News time. News team, assemble! Okay, uh, first bit of news comes from, well, Polygon. They released another bike that is kind of alphabet soupy. I didn't really know how to pronounce it. I don't know if it's square one, X square one. It's Zwar one. Zwar, yeah. So Polygon <laughs> released a downhill bike with their nailed React, and that's also spelled very strange with numbers somehow worked in. Missing vowels. Yes, yes. Uh, nailed React suspension system. It's the very interesting looking suspension where uh, it uses basically an undampened stanchion to act as a guiding force for a portion of a swing arm. Yes. And so like the, it doesn't have chain stays and seat stays. It just has one single stay that goes yeah. back. And that whole system kind of slides Loads up and on down on those stanchions. Yeah. And then it's got a yoke on the upper part that connects it to a shock. Yeah. Um, kind of difficult to, to describe, but if you look at it and Google it, you'll see it. Um, once again, it's an undampened lower portion, that giant stanchion, uh, but they put it on a downhill bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's known for having like really, really high anti-squat. Uh, the reviewer, I think it was Mike Casimir in this case on pink bike said he didn't get much time on it, but he said that this provided incredible traction, mm-hmm. but, uh, and you can read more stuff on that. I, we're just sharing the highlights or our personal highlights or thoughts on this, uh, 
first thought that I had was it's got 27.5 wheels, which is totally viable. Yeah. Uh, but it's just interesting to see them doing that while every other brand, it seems, is just focusing on building a 29er. Yeah. Well, I, I would say not every brand is focusing on that, but it seems like the trend Any brand is brand that's really releasing new things Yeah, right let's. Now. Well, and that's the thing is they figured out the 27.5 stuff. Now it's like, let's also include 29 or let's try that shift. But, yeah, do yeah. you mind if I jump in on that? Yeah. In the past uh, two weeks, I think, we've had Kona, GT, Da Vinci, YT, Norco. YT one's rumored, mm -hmm. but Norco and Comensal all release 29-inch downhill bikes, true. right? Okay. It's crazy. Yeah, Oh, and that's true, but the one thing I will throw in there, the GT bike, and I've got a little news on this when we get there, mm -hmm. um, the GT is completely selectable. You can actually make it a 27.5 bike or a 29 bike. Right. It runs both ways. So it's interesting to see that they – just stuck with 27.5. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, this, exactly. You know, but it just would seem like, uh, in fact, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were a lot of companies that were making downhill bikes and planned to release maybe last year or maybe this year. And then they had to delay it because they were like, uh, let's just scrap the current bike and let's like, what's hot right now is 29. Yeah. Downhill bikes. So let's yeah. put out 29. Let's, let's refocus on that. So yeah. it's interesting to see them release the 27.5. Well, Once I mean, again, it's not worse, not better. Yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, it's going against the current market trends, yeah, which is interesting. And I think the current market trend is a little off anyway. And, you know, one of the things that the GT people, you know, told me specifically was, you know, the reason that they're making it go both ways is, look, a 29 is not good for like your free riders and for, you totally. know, fast, nimble, like you don't want that. Mm -hmm. When you need a monster truck, sure, great, 29's, you know, mm -hmm. perfect. But so that's one of the reasons, you know, you look at YT, they're rumoring the 29, but they also just redesigned the 27.5. Yep. So I think they're going to be congruent. I think they're going to work everything together. I could see that for sure. So because I think there is a tool for every, you know, job and I, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Now our other thoughts though, we share this, both, uh, this thought or slash concern. I'm worried about this bike falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we, we, we witnessed personally witnessed plenty of these bikes with the same design, but on a Marin, the Marins. Yes. Uh, braking. Yeah. And, uh, and not even in a subtle manner. No, They're very bad brakes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, it'll be, this is the ultimate test. Put it on a bike. That's going to get, you know, abused more than anything else. Exactly. So yeah. now we'll get to see if it was just like an implementation thing on the Marin side of things, or if it's really the suspension design somehow doesn't handle forces in such a way that allows the durability, but a uh, very interesting looking bike. But so. by the way, 218 mils of travel in the back of that thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a big bike. Yep. M much squish. Uh, okay. Uh, let's go into the next thing. This is Fidlock, the company. They have a bottle that kind of like the fabric bottles that you and I use on almost all of our bikes. Yeah. Except I don't use it. Um, well, yeah, we'll get to that. Anyways, it's a, it's a replacement for cages and bottles. Yeah. Uh, the bottle itself has like a recessed interface that has these little tabs, like on a fabric bottle, mm -hmm. it has like recessed holes. Yeah. And then you just put these two little tabs into the bosses and it's really cool. It's like a sleek little clean system. Yeah. My big complaint with the fabric one is that, uh, if I'm really going over rough terrain, which it's cyclocross nationals, uh, I rode your super six, right? The super X. Yeah. Or super X. Forgive me. Yeah. Super six would have been really hard. <laughs> that would have been really hard with yeah. 25 C tires. Um, been awkward. Super X. And I lost a bottle. Mm -hmm. So I tightened them up a bit, right? Yeah. Found the bottle, 
for the next race, I tightened them up a bit. And at that point I really couldn't get the bottle off. Now it didn't matter because I wasn't drinking during yeah. cyclocross, but I found that if you really with jarring stuff like mountain biking, if you want those things to come off and on easily, then they can also be tossed on and off easily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, otherwise it's like this really awkward, like you're pulling the bottle and it's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. So this flip lock thing is kind of sort of fid lock, forgive me. It's kind of clever. It actually uses magnets and you kind of just like put the bottle down at a slight angle and then it kind of snaps into place. Yep. And I like this. I like this a lot. Me too, man. I want to try it. Um, I think it's, um, I think we're going to start seeing more and more systems go or more and more bottle and cage systems kind of going this way. The trick that I see is this is once again, yet another, uh, field ripe for standards as they would call them. Yeah. So, because you can't, you know, use a different bottle, you're locked in. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Hey, that's good. Yeah. Dad joke. Um, but kind of interesting stuff, man. It's totally. good to see. Yeah. Um, it uses magnets. So anywho, cool to see uh, change change ups there. Uh, something else that's interesting is Live, aka Giant, or the female brand of Giant. Um, they released a bike called the Intrigue Advanced. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we're talking about this bike specifically, because there were a bunch of bikes and a bunch of products that have been released and released recently, but this one was interesting to me because they cited a ton of data and research behind making this bike. And it's really common that WSD or women's specific designs yeah. are pink. And that's mm -hmm. like the difference, right? Yeah. <laughs> or it comes with a different saddle or something like that. Narrower bars, different saddle. Yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, shorter cranks, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but in this case, this is actually a genuinely a different frame. It is. And what they said is they took a bunch of data in terms of body types, but then also weight and riding and like riding styles. Yeah. And they found that women generally or generally had longer legs, shorter torsos. That makes sense, right? Uh, they also, women had uh, longer arms while men had shorter arms uh, typically. But they also saw that once you got smaller and you started dropping the height of the men and women, they said that the differences became even more pronounced in terms of proportions. Okay. So uh, with men that were shorter, you saw a much greater length torsos and much shorter legs. Whereas with women, when they were shorter, they actually saw kind of the opposite happen. So anyway, some interesting stuff that basically made them make a chassis that from different sizes, from small to medium to whatever else, and all the different pieces that you can put in that puzzle, it's very much a women specific bike. Yeah, it is. I, and I, I have to applaud them. You know, they came under fire mm -hmm. in their 2018 lineup, you know, with a few of their bikes that came out and they were priced similar to the men's. Yep. They were identical to the men's in every way, except for shorter cranks, bars, stem length, uh -huh. very simple changes. Yeah. And they were actually a far lower spec bike. Yeah, the they had like price. cheaper cranks, cheaper wheels or something. And yeah, that was they basically ran, the same price. Yeah, they had a, uh, I believe it was an $8,000 trail bike that was the same exact price as the men's version, but it came with aluminum wheels and aluminum crank, whereas hmm. the men's version came with uh, carbon cranks, carbon wheels, and a better dropper and carbon right. bars. And there was a bunch of differences that made it, you know, equal to like the $6,500 men's bike, mm -hmm. but at $8,000. Here's the interesting thing to me. Specialized has kind of taken a stance against women's specific design, actually. Mm -hmm. Not against women, but saying that in the data that they have, women don't, you know, they don't need a bike that's 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 unique and special and, and set aside. They actually can ride the same bikes as men. 
Um, and it's, and instead what they're doing is they're just making bikes with a variety of different paint jobs and everything else. The ones that are traditionally more feminine than, you know, something like that, but they're kind of using the, they're basically saying like, no, women's specific design isn't necessarily needed with bikes. Granted, that's just with their road bikes. I think, I don't know if they've said the same across all their bikes, but I do know that that was more or less communicated with the tarmac when that was released their road bike. Yeah. So it's interesting to see brands going this way. And in the end, uh, as, as a consumer, uh, to the female consumer listening to this podcast, uh, it depends on how you want to stand on this. Do you want to support brands that are going in this direction? And do you really feel like you need a different bike or do you feel like, no, I can ride the same stuff a man does. It doesn't, you know, I don't need to be, you know, I guess, uh, they don't need to focus on placating and kind of, you know, in a, in a certain way, make us feel like we need something special because we're not the same. Yeah. It's two different approaches. They both say they're backed by data. Uh, it's going to be kind of interesting to see where this goes down the road. I agree. I agree. No. Yeah. But kudos, Giant, because it seems that this may be the marketing working very well, and you may have actually done very little, but it sure seems as if you guys put a lot of thought and consideration into this. So. And the same can be said about Specialized. They, you exactly could say right. that you know their marketing analysis is just to make it so that it's cheaper. So right? that it makes it cheaper for them because they're saying, hey, we don't, you know, we say mm -hmm. we don't need to do this. But then again, maybe their data backs this up. So... <clears throat> I mean, the data is what the data is. Yeah, but it also depends on what you want to see in the data. This is very true. Yeah. You can see things through different lenses. Yeah. Uh, a really exciting bit of tech that I found personally, uh, I'm not going to be riding a women's bike, so not as personally exciting, although exciting <laughs> on a greater scale. Uh, but the RockShox actually had at Mont St. Anne, the World Cup, they had a wireless dropper on Emily Batty's bike. The Everb. Yes, is, is, is Mike <laughs> Levine coined it? Good one on that one, the e-verb instead of the reverb. So here's the interesting thing, though. Okay, so she did not use this dropper post during the race. No, it was just on there at mm -hmm. the beginning. Mm -hmm. So because she rode that hardtail and she had some close calls down the Beatrice, as it's called, uh, which is a very gnarly little rock waterfall section. Yeah. Um, that claimed Anton Cooper. We'll get to that in a little bit, but but. They didn't have it on the bike. So maybe it's just, you know, pre-production. They don't want to use it in a race scenario. That's totally understandable. Yeah. So don't read too much into that. But the interesting thing is it's electronically activated with a shifter that looks identical to the ETAP Eagle shifter mm -hmm. just on the other side of the handlebars. Which is great. No more hydraulics. Oh, Fantastic. So you yeah. won't have to run a line through the dropper. Yeah. Won't that be great? It's wireless hydraulic. So here's the interesting thing. I think that the way that it might work is it might have a valve where it basically opens up that valving and then you can squish the seat post down. That's exactly what it is. It's just like Magura's. I'm, I guarantee it's like Magura's yep. setup. That said, I've seen other people do like homebrew ones where there's actually a gear setup inside where it actually, you know, you hit a button and it raises it up. The motor goes up, motor goes down. Exactly. Okay. Kind of two different ways to go about it. True. And I'm curious that if you had the motorized system, it's certainly, it's, you can't say it's more or less complex necessarily, but it might be one where you avoid the problems of having squishy seat posts that need to be bled and everything else like that. Because you've got a gear driven motor setup versus mm -hmm. a hydraulic damper essentially. Exactly. Is what yeah, no, that makes sense. Could be interesting, right? But it's really cool to see them getting away from cables. Uh, it uses an ETAP battery uh, and it looks like, so that means that it'll use Bluetooth because SRAM uses, has their own proprietary version of Bluetooth. Yeah. Still operates on the 2.4 gigahertz spectrum, but it does so through a secure protocol that is supposed to allow for greater security so you don't have dropouts, so you don't have people trying to, you know, shift everyone's gears in a race at one point or something like that. Yeah. Um, so 
It's interesting to see. Uh, I think that this shifter on the left side will have two buttons just like, or the, the remote that looks like the ETAP shifter. Mm -hmm. I think it'll have two buttons. And I think that one will be able to drop your seat post. And I think the other will be able to lock out your suspension I think coming very soon. Yeah. I think that it'll, that will also be customizable and configurable as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think part of that, that anticipation is if you look at a lot of the, the rock shock suspension, they're getting away from hydraulic actuation on their sprint lock systems and mm -hmm. going back to cable. I think they're just impending electronic. Yes. You know, with Fox's, you know, with the Fox live valve coming out, RockShox is being very quiet, but I guarantee you they're working on something electronic yep. lockout. Something else to get your mind grapes going. Although they are a subsidiary, they're owned by Quark, but they are not, you know, the same company or owned by SRAM, but not the same company. Quark mm -hmm. has obviously been doing a lot of work on wireless internet of things, little things that you can put on your bike, like the ShockWiz, mm -hmm. uh, also like the, the TireWiz. Tire yeah. And, uh, I, I spoke to the folks there at Quark uh, at Leadville. Um, some, I, I know some of the folks there. We were chatting for a while, and we didn't speak any specifics. And I can fully relay what we did in our conversation here. But I said, I'm sure you guys have a massive list of things that you want to make wirelessly capable and measure on a bike. And they're like, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And in my mind, I was thinking of this wireless dropper post and that and everything else. And I thought, you know what? This is where we get really effective abilities to set thresholds because they're they're good at measuring power or measuring pressure right now quark is mm -hmm. they measure pressure with the power meter they measure pressure with the shock whiz and they measure it with the tire whiz yeah. if you can use pressure and strain gauges to then have a wirelessly smart bike that's all put together then what we can do is we can actually get to the point where we're having extremely rapid and you know, just in time adjustments to your suspension that will actually work. Unlike, you know, something like the, you know, the brain that's an inertia valve. Well, yeah, you'd be talking more change. like GM and their uh, magnetic ride control that Audi uses, Lamborghini uses, Bentley exactly uses. Right. Yeah. That's a yep. similar concept, just adapted for bikes. This is how it's built right here. So, uh, we have to do it wirelessly. Um, and I think just because otherwise it becomes unfeasible with running cables everywhere. Oh, absolutely. So now that that portion SRAM pushed that through with ETAP and then, you know, you, you have a great company, arguably one of the best companies, if not the best cork and measuring power and that sort of thing, measuring strain. Yeah. We could have things that basically measure strain through your saddle. They measure strain through your grips. And then as a result, uh, we, with clever math and algorithms, you'd be able to figure out exactly how to tune the suspension based on that live and not just in a binary manner. Well, let's not say live. Yeah, well. Because well, we might be impinging or in, impeding on, uh, you know, some sort of copyright. <laughs> right, right. Thing. But basically, no, yeah. it would be happening instantaneous. instantaneous. Yeah. And, uh, and it doesn't necessarily also have to be a light switch. It doesn't have to be binary, like locked or unlocked. No, it doesn't. You could really do a lot of cool stuff. So. Yeah. Anywho, it's just cool to see these little preliminary steps of all that coming together. And by the way, I need to give credit to Mike Levy. I I did not come up with the E-verb yes, name I, yes. he did right at the end of his article. This I just true. read it. So yes, yes we, he did. Great minds think alike, but this he came true. up with it first. <laughs> this is true. Now, the next bit of news that we're going to cover is another product release, and it's something that my brother and I have talked about all the time. He's an engineer, um, and we've always thought about the fact that uh, maybe the ideal pedal shoe cleat interfaces doesn't exist quite yet. Mm -hmm. And I feel like magnets could play a role in that. Okay. Magped is that? Yeah. Magped is the name of the company. Yeah. They released a flat pedal. So like think of a flat pedal with a little spiky parts and they have a magnet system 
Mm-hmm. Uh, can you explain a little bit how it works or how it's supposed to work? Essentially, it's going to use the polarity of a magnet to center a plate of steel that's attached to your SPD mount on your cleats. Mm-hmm. And uh, the concept behind it is you get you get free float. Mm-hmm. You get a very positive center because that's how you know magnetic E fields work. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of problems with it, okay. but I also see that um, it's a very ingenious design, and it's something that could yeah. take off if, I guess, if you if you use it correctly. Yeah, it'd be cool to be able to, you know, take your foot right off, slide it through that turn sort of a thing, then, you know, just you bring your foot back and have no real worries about whether you're perfectly clipped in or not. Yeah. Um, or for the person that rides flats, it'd be great to just have an additional added security when you're going over extremely bumpy, choppy stuff or yeah. going through jumps, anything else like that. You'd just have an added level of security without being completely locked in. Yeah. Seems like the best of both worlds, right? It does. Um, but what, other than the poles randomly flipping on us, north and south pole flipping, and then you getting ejected off your bike. That happens over thousands of years. <laughs> <laughs> um, what could, what are the downsides that you see? Um, I see a lot of issues, especially when you're talking on the west coast where you have very, um, you have a lot of igneous rock with high iron contents. Yeah. I see contamination of the magnet and making your interface with the steel plate not as easy. You'd have like a bunch of grit that could get yeah, put I in see, there, then even corrosion. Um, I also see getting super physics nerdy here. You know, when you use a round magnet like they're using right now, you have a very even circular magnetic field around. Okay. So you essentially get a you get infinite free float as long as your pedal cleat is centered on that magnet. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were able to switch to a square or rectangular magnet, you could actually make it to where it self-centers your foot all the time and you actually get a progressive, like a springed free float Until, side to side yeah. as you interfere with that E-field and it will basically self-center you. This way it doesn't self-center you. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that, yeah. but that makes total sense. It would it would give you a similar feel to being clipped in and out because it would get progressively harder than suddenly you'd be easy. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, hmm. you know, I also see this as a as a learning curve to be able to, you know, separate a hundred Newton magnets. I mean, these are, <laughs> these are hardcore magnets. Those are seriously Strong. Yeah. So being able to clip out of that oh, efficiently yeah. is going to be hard. The other thing that I thought of is if you have the pedals off the bike and oh, then yeah. you like, and you get your fingers trapped between those suckers. Oh, that's not going to be, that's yeah, going to be painful. You're going to lose some fingers. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, and that's the thing it's, uh, Ooh, I see doping cha- opportunities with this motor doping. Okay. You could somehow propel the magnets in some way. Okay. Right. Sure. I mean, you could, but it would be very visible. You wouldn't be able to hide this motor doping. Yeah. Well, you know how they say that there are people have raced in the pro tour. They say with wheels that have magnets fit all throughout them and then magnets in the seat and chain stays that then propel that in a specific direction well, or the pro- aid, in, aid in maintenance of momentum perhaps is the best way to say it. There, there are problems with that concept, that yeah. idea. These people yeah. only understand part of how magnets work when gotcha. they say that. Yeah. Because every time that a magnet is approaching another magnet, sure, it's attracting it. But as soon as you get past it and it's you're trying opposite. to rotate away from it, it's got the equal and opposite. It's yeah. Newton's second law. Yeah. So that's second law? Oh, God. It's, it's been law. too long since I've been in physics. I think Don't it's you dare law. ask me. Yeah, sorry. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool to see. I'm glad to see the, the pedal side of things. It so. is. I like it. It's mm-hmm. it's eliminating a mechanical lock into, totally. into a clipped-in pedal. Yeah. Uh, and then I won't be like a pretzel like I was on my bike when you had to pick me up on off the ground at North Star. That yeah. was great. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in a bad way. I felt bad, but I did <laughs> <It's> giggle. <true. laughs> yeah, I crashed extremely hard. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, uh, next thing I wanted to talk about was actually just a, a quick uh, a piece that I saw. Yes, it's from a Yeti ambassador, so you could say that I'm partial here, but Dave Trumpor, he does incredible, he's an incredible photographer. Why is it all of their ambassadors are incredible photographers? Yeah, that was like very all intentional. all of them. That yeah. was very intentional. Yeah. They sought out the best photographers, that's yeah. why. So that happens in- And you. Joey Shoes. <laughs> Yeah, You're exactly. a great photographer. <laughs> That's uh, Joey Schuessler. He uh, he was actually one of the you know he was basically running the show, marketing show for quite some time over there. Yeah. He's an incredible filmmaker and photographer as well, and yeah. and writer. Um, so uh, I think you know with that he brought along a lot of the folks from the creative side of things, and they came in with a brand. But you know it all just reinforces very much the ethos of Yeti, which is much more about the experience of of that mountain biking provides, right? Yeah. Um, it's being, you know, internally driven enough to go and do something like this, this huge ride and, and have all these photos. But anyways, if you want to see beautiful photography mixed with mountain bikes and one of the most beautiful spots that you can find, this is it. Like I was just blown away at how beautiful the images were. So, um, anywho, you also check that out. It's called taking advantage of peak season. It's on pink bike. Uh, so kudos to pink bike to publishing beautiful stories like this and kudos to all brands that are doing that sort of thing. Um, with that one question yeah, yeah, is, and I just tried to Google it and I couldn't figure it out. Okay. Is the Yeti monster, the abominable snowman, you know, whatever you want to mm. call him. Is he the Yeti in Italy? I don't know. Or is is there... he something else in Italy? I don't know. Is he I Italian? Mean, well, I don't know if he's Italian or not. I never met the guy. <laughs> is the abominable snow, is somebody right in, is the abominable snowman native to a specific region? Well, there are different names everywhere. Like in the U.S., it's Bigfoot. In, um, is in that Canada, the same, it's Sasquatch. Well, the same similar dude. Like I don't know, man. Maybe I bet, not white versus I bet there's some dude with a tin brown. hat right now who's like sitting in a basement that also listens to our podcast, bless his heart. And he's probably- <clears throat> It's not his basement. It's his mom's basement. <laughs> Possibly. Let's be honest. And he is going to let us know. So okay. Somebody let us know. In Italy, what is the abominable snowman's name? Is yes. it the Yeti? Because in generally in Europe, the Yeti is, but I don't know if Italy is like its own place. I feel like we are not off track, but we got off track. We did. <laughs> okay, let's go on. Let's get into uh, the, so actually Cannondale officially released. We leaked it a bit, but they officially released the Jekyll 29. My new bike. Uh, we talked in a, a, a bit about it uh, before. So this time we're actually going to talk about your specific bike. Yes. Well, first of all, geometry is going to stay same head tube okay. angle, same seat tube angle, uh, stretched out chain stays just to handle mm -hmm. the bigger wheel. Yep. Um, other than that, it's a 150 bike um, instead of a 170 bike. Ooh. The rear's 150 selectable to 120 instead of 165 to 130 with the hustle, um, and, flow with the hustle and flow. But everything is very similar all yeah. the way around. So you are getting one. Yes. And this is not going to be a normal bike. It is not. We've been going back and forth on different options for this bike. You are going to have this paint, this frame custom painted. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be beautiful. I think yeah. it's going to be gorgeous. It's probably going to be, it's probably going to be the best custom bike I've ever done. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's going to put La Flama Blanca, uh, to, to shame there. Can't Mr. Kenny yeah. Powers. Yeah. And Mr. His Kenny Jet Powers Ski. ain't got nothing on yeah, this. That's yeah. right. Um, so it's going to be, uh. Anyways, it's going to be a beautiful bike. We're looking, uh, stay tuned, I guess is the best way to say it because yeah. if we bore people with the details, but it's going to, there will be sparkle involved. There's going to be sparkle. There's going to be holographic prism. There's going to be a very liquidy pearl involved. Wow. And it's, as you and I both agreed on this, we're going to keep a very, very OEM type paint theme with the yep. lines, with the transitions in color, because Let's be honest, Cannondale does a great job already. They do. They're, with, they're very clean looking. Yes. Yeah. So it's going to be very, very clean and very subdued in the patterning. 
but it's going to be very loud otherwise. Mm-hmm. I saw a few uh, Lefty Osho equipped bikes there at um, at Leadville this weekend. A couple. I th- and I think uh, I'll be ordering my new scalpel with the Ocho Ooh. in the next couple weeks. Nice. So, yeah. Uh, race stuff, and then we're going to get into the business. Uh, these are our observations from the Mont St. Anne World Cup that had cross-country short track, cross-country Olympic, and downhill. Yes. Uh, all three of those disciplines went on, uh, female and male on both, but we're just going to cover some interesting bits. So cross-country short track, for those that don't know, it's actually really fun racing to watch. They basically do the start loop over and over for 20 minutes, so it's not that long. Uh, you get to see people try to throw Hail Marys and blow up spectacularly. It's uh, great. It's pretty interesting stuff. Nino Schurter did that. Yeah, he so he does not seem to be doing very well in short track. So well, he's also old. Re, so he really isn't. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know, I'm joking. Um, let's let's rewind. Jeez, uh, three years now. Um, Nino Schurter was known for starting hard in XC races, mm-hmm. and Julian Absalom was known as the quote old guy who was a diesel, and he would be able to then come back up and kind of counter on that really fast hard start. Yeah, he would have negative. He would have negative splits essentially. He yes. would just speed up at the end. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the tables have turned mm-hmm. because it seems like Nino just is not a fan of. So there, there's a possibility here. It's either that Nino can't start as hard as the rest of the the guys. Mm-hmm on these short races like this. Okay. Or it's because, and I think this is much more likely because Nino does, for some reason, he may know that his body doesn't do very well if he has a really hard race two days beforehand, even if if it's a short effort. Yeah. And he may be riding within himself. That's fair. And I I would expect that from one of the greatest mountain bikers ever, right? I'd expect him not to just be like, oh, I suck. Oh, well, like, you know, I wouldn't expect that to happen. Yeah. I I assume that he's definitely got something behind it. But uh, yeah, so from the outside in, he blew up massively Mm -hmm. and he dropped way back. A shout out to Keegan Swenson, who finally uh, was able to race in a short track race because they only select the top, I think, 40 UCI racers, racers, I believe. And Keegan was 40 or 39. I think he was right around there. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) He got in. So uh, he got to race that. And I think that he ended up on the last lap. He ended up crawling up to 24th. He was a last place start. Nice. Super hard to pass. And I think that he got 24th, I think. You know, I think I think Keegan would probably do a lot better if he helped out with the whole Yolanda Neff situation. With ah, him. I get He'd what probably you mean. do better. Yeah, there. yeah. Your love letters are not yet reaching the They're destination. Not. They're not. <laughs> no? Okay, gotcha. So anyways, Nino blew up. Uh, Yolanda Neff went out really hard too, mm-hmm. um, but she didn't end up... Uh, taking the win. The interesting thing though, f- fast forward to the cross country Olympic. Oh, Sam Gay is one. We should say that. Yeah. He won again. He got all the points before he blew just himself up, shattered himself yes. all over the deep. Seriously the hard crash. Um, it's a really technical course for those who don't know, like you watch this XC race and it looks like some of the downhill races in spots. I would not like, I'm sorry. Like I have good bike handling skill. Yeah. There's no way I would do any of that course <laughs> on a hard tail. Right. No. And and <laughs> let's talk about that because Emily Batty rode a hardtail with no dropper, and she oh there's a couple sketchy spots. moments, yeah. man. But yeah. she ended up pulling it off. Kudos to her. A great work. Yeah, An- third place. Anton Cooper rode a hardtail. Everything was going great without a drop or two until it wasn't until it was not. <laughs> and dear me, have you ever seen a bike bounce like that? Uh, 
yeah, but it's not been an XC bike in an <laughs> yeah. XC race. That was amazing. I mean, he threw it down the hill. Yeah, his bike, like, he, like, went over the bars, his bike flipped forward, and it caught this strange bounce, and it flipped up probably five feet uh, in the air from where it was, and, and then it fell, off like a 15, it fell off like a 15-foot drop. Yeah, it was crazy. Oh, yeah, and that, it somehow wasn't, didn't seem shattered, so he no. rode through. Yeah, the, the first thing, can I just, in a joking manner, the yeah. first thing I thought when I saw him fall there, so you see him up on the, on before the left-hander, yep. he starts to bobble when he kicks his rear tire out, yep. and as soon as he went over, I instantly thought of Joe Dirt. Luckily, my neck broke my fall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see, really, that's what happened. That was scary, It man. was bad. He slammed oh, so hard. He slammed really hard. Um, glad he's okay. But he still ended up sixth. I know. Because he went back to like eighth or ninth and then crawled back up to sixth. I was like, oh. He's such a good rider, man. Gosh. That dude's got some fight. He still beat Scherter. And that's because Nino broke his chain. And then he got a flat on the last lap. Yeah. Can we talk about the whole chain thing with, uh, or I guess drivetrain problems? Sure. Last year, zero drivetrain problems for him. Yeah. This year, a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, what's the different? He's running an ETAP Eagle. Well, he's running an ETAP now, but I don't think the ETAP has much to do with. I think it does. But how? With chain breaking? Yeah. He could very well get into a situation where he's shifting under load and that thing just continues to shift that chain upward or push it into a spot where it might be, you know, the chain might be, the angle of the chain might be compromised. Or so the surface is just pushing it, whereas normal, hey, this is too hard, so the chain's not going to go. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That's I can see it. And you know, the thing that's crazy but is- But I don't know. I should <laughs> clarify. I don't know that. That's, yeah. an, that's an assumption from silly armchair quarterback me. Of course. And the one thing that we do have to remember is when we get to 11 and now 12 speed with the chains, the chains are getting so thin and so tight on tolerances that we are literally at the structural limits yes. of torque on the chain at, you know, at UCI pro level. Yes. So these guys really are at the breaking point where at any moment their chain could just shatter. Here's the interesting thing. I think a lot of people would say then ETAP Eagle could break this stuff. But remember that he's testing prototypes. Yeah. He's also one of the best riders in the world. Chances are, like you were just mentioning, you know, I don't have those watts. No, I'm not, not going to be doing that, right? Yeah, no. Um, chances are it will be just fine once it's released. Um, but it's kind of crazy to think that he's been testing this product like this and the, look, there. The data just says that he's had more drivetrain problems this this year than previous years. Yeah, and, this could be it. And you know what's changed? This. Yeah. So it very well could be the case. But anyways, a uh, bummer for him. He didn't wrap up the title. He could have uh, that round, and he didn't. Yeah. Um. So now, man, I can't remember which one. They, I think they go to La Bresse in France, and mm-hmm. then after that, I think they have world champs. So. Uh, it's been a crazy season, man, to to see all that. And Matthias Flukinger, he won, mm-hmm. which good to see, man. Because that's his first UCI win. Yeah, yeah. and he's had like, uh, man, it's just good to see a different winner in that yeah. race, in that in that di- discipline for sure. But it's also he seems like a really nice dude, um, and uh, so it was cool to see him win. Totally. So, uh, okay, uh, one thing from the women's race. Yes, Yolanda Neff's cadence. Dear me. Yeah. She probably averages, and most mountain bikers average lower cadence, not out of choice, but just because they go up such steep stuff. But she probably she has to average, you know, ninety five or I was above, high nineties. I thought on a road race, I'll average one hundred and two. Right, mm-hmm. that's no problem. But on a mountain bike, but on a mountain bike, it's much more common for me to be measure or to be averaging somewhere in the you know maybe high eighties if that's really like. But more often, it's mid eighties, sometimes even low eighties. Yeah. So. It's just she, and I looked at it, she's got to be running like a 32, 
30 tooth chain ring maybe and she's running that she's running the 51 in the rear she's running the 51 like. and i think she's on a 32 or a 34 up front yeah it's so. it's a small chain ring i don't think she's 34 you don't think 34 okay. i don't think i don't know though i yeah. mean it's just judging from what i can tell from okay. proportions but yeah and anton cooper was on a 40 i think gosh Ugh. or something like that That's it's big, crazy yeah yeah most bikes can't even fit that most mountain bikes these days yeah. they can't even fit a 40 um so anyways she was spinning like crazy and she won handily mm -hmm. she like this course is made for her though oh absolutely technical every, and every one of these technical descents she's just you know putting seconds on everybody yeah. it was great uh last bit of thing on that kudos to katarina nash first world cup race in quite some time yeah uh she was her crew was replacing a flat and while they're replacing a flat she's just standing there drinking water and then before she takes off she says thanks and she sprays all of her mechanics with the water bottle then jumps on her bike <laughs> and takes off i did not see that <laughs> which is that's awesome. awesome that's so, great kudos katarina we both know katarina <clears throat> we personally and she's every bit as great of a person as she seems and it's just cool to see her and you know the, you know the xc's biggest stage and she's still exactly the same yeah she actually she owes me an 11 speed quick link oh she does no i'm just kidding she doesn't <laughs> make sure yes. you keep track of yeah i'll things. keep track yeah. of it <laughs> um okay the downhill race observations <clears throat> yes <laughs> the the coolest downhill race of the year in my mind always is mont saint anne yeah uh we're gonna have world champs there next year i'm gonna go uh do you want to go i want to go to there yeah it's gonna be fun so I'm going to go for sure. Uh, yeah. I don't know if we're going to do train and road stuff there or if it's going to be just vacation time, but I'll be there regardless. So. I see. Uh, that I might be there on my first date with someone. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, if those letters can finally reach their destination. Yes, yes. Mr. Mailman. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in this case, this race is extremely fast. They, they could just go down ski runs at times, like straight yeah. down the hill, mm -hmm. and it's extremely rough. And Danny Hart got third, and I think that he sold himself short. He could, he should have and could have gotten first. And why is that, sir? Suspension tuning. Uh -huh. Now, call me crazy. Call me armchair quarterback Jonathan. But he his tires were hardly on the ground compared to Loke Bruni, who win, and Troy Brosnan. Yeah. Uh, he's a very light little guy, mm -hmm. as is comparatively. Although Brosnan's pretty light, too. But he's he's not a big guy. But these guys have every opportunity to them to tune their suspension. Mm -hmm. And his bike was so unsettled. And you looked at it in certain points, it was bucking and behaving super strangely uh, to rocks and different bumps and everything else. And what it caused was him to be late on a few turns or on a number of different turns and kind of blow his lines because his bike was in the air and unsettled when it should have just been settled. If you look at Loic Bruni and Troy Brosnan, Troy, I feel like it looks like Troy always runs a pretty stiff setup with his suspension. Yeah. His bike looked Cadillac and plush through this stuff. Compared to... And I think it's because it's so bumpy and so constantly bumpy and uneven that you know, they know that they have to keep those tires on the ground. Yeah. Like, and, and there's also not a lot of huge hits at Mont St. Anne, so you don't have to worry about something too stiff, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, just, I watched Danny Hart ride and I'm like, man, his bike is on, is just not doing the right things for him. Yeah. He's so nervous. And, and you can't think of any reason why that might be. You just think it was just a, a huge mistake. You know, I, I like, I understand. I like the feeling of a stiff bike. Mm -hmm. Danny is also, even though he's a small rider, he's a rider that rides with a ton of body English Yeah, and stiff riders or riders that like that ride with a lot of body English often like a stiff bike. Yeah. Because it gives them something to push against and kind of get energy out of, you know? So um, it could just be because that's just kind of how he runs it. Like James Stewart, 
always in the motocross world has always ran extremely stiff s- suspension and it bit him so many times that it was just how he liked it. Hmm. So I don't know, maybe that's just the way, but on a course that's that bumpy, it just did not look like it was settled. But Dan, that's the thing is Danny Hart's bike usually doesn't seem unsettled. Yeah, usually does. This is a different case. This it is a seemed that way to me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be interesting to, to see. And I'm sure that Danny Hart's mechanic is probably just, you know, yelling at me right now and calling well, yes, me. Because he is listening. Of course. Yeah. Of course he's listening. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's, uh, with that, I guess that covers all the news and observations of things. It does. Uh, let's get into the business. Sounds good. It's business time. As we mentioned earlier, this section is going to be all about how to be the ideal support crew for a racer. Mm-hmm. So different things that you and I have experienced on both sides of that fence. I've been supporting much more than racing recently because of the knee. Um, so different things that we've done uh, that we feel like are helpful or beneficial for a racer. So here's what I want to go over. Um, and we want your suggestions. However, if you're listening to this and you feel like we've forgotten something, or you feel like there's been something that's been done for you that was extremely helpful that other support crews should know, send us a message. Just go to mtbpodcast.com and you can send it in there. You will be helping millions. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, uh, but first things first, let's talk about event prep. So this is leading up to the event, but this isn't like, you know, uh, this isn't morning of type of stuff. This is before that. Okay. First thing that I always like, so my wife is, does such a good job at doing this. Whenever we have like a race or anything else like that, she's like, uh, what do I need to get ready? Where's the list? Right. And I feel like a lot of racers, a lot of the time that they're so focused on getting certain things done that they might not step back and make a list of things that they need to have done. Mm -hmm. And as a support crew member, push them to do that. Yeah. Because even though it may cause more stress initially, it will alleviate stress later on. Totally. Um, so helping them work with that. And I guess that kind of like, uh, that goes along the same lines of, of helping a rider get into like the proper mindset and, and anticipating their needs. So then they can kind of fall into whatever mindset they need to fall into. Yeah. Um, thinking about this, uh, I've had people that have like supported me before and they're like negative about certain aspects of an event or something else like that. And it drags me down so much. Mm-hmm. I think like as a support crew member, you should be like, uh, you should be like target lady from that SNL skit. Have you ever seen that? No, it's uh, it's hilarious. Uh, Kristen Wig, and she's just the most enthusiastic target checker lady ever. Um, it's really funny. Uh, mm-hmm. You should all check it out if you haven't seen it, but like just be Overly positive. Sure. Uh, it's better than erring on the side of negativity. Of course. Just being super positive. I think it's a huge help, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, surrounding yourself with folks like that. And then uh, the other thing is making sure the athlete is reminded constantly that they need to be recovering and they need to be spending time prepping their body rather than, you know, stressing over stuff like that. Okay. Um, leading up to an event, is there anything else that you would cover? I could see on the technical side, there's plenty of things like on the bike and all that. Oh yeah. That's all, you know, what would you want as a racer? What would you want your support crew to do for you on the equipment side of things? If I wasn't, if I wasn't my own mechanic, if I had somebody that I trusted, I would make sure that that person got the bike and went through every single thing. Got it. So that would be even like if that mechanic works at a shop, but your support crew member is a different person, that would be that, that support, support crew, crew member has to get it to the bike shop. Gotcha. Yeah. You get it to the bike shop. You go through everything. You make sure that there is going to be no issues later on. You know, uh, things to usually check through. You're going to do, not only are you going to do a tune up and make sure that everything's running per- perfectly, you're going to go through and you're going to make sure, hey, derailleur cable housing, 
derailleur cable itself. You want to make sure there's no frays anywhere. You want to make sure that there's no splits in the housing. You don't want that to fall apart on you in the middle of Leadville or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. You want to check for drivetrain, you know, not just function, but then you want to look for, oh, the chain is stretched and, you know, the mm -hmm. chain ring needs to be replaced or, you know, insert whatever. Mm -hmm. Make sure wheels are perfectly true. Make sure sealant is in the tires and perfect. Make sure that mm -hmm. everything on the bike is 100% perfect. And I'm not yeah. just talking a normal tune-up. You have to do a full deep tune on a bike. Yeah, now if this is like a small race, that's one thing. But what we're really talking about here, like we're talking the big race. Yeah, this the is big the race. a race of yes, the year. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the one thing that I actually, I have to shout out to dentist Jason Sala. Good friend of the podcast. <sighs> he did Leadville this weekend. And when he got there in his uh, riding before, I actually forgot to check chain stretch and drivetrain stretch. So yep. he went to a shop and found that the chain was stretched and they put a new chain on it and it shifted worse yeah. because the entire drivetrain had started to wear already. Yep. So now granted he has thousands of miles on this drivetrain. Right. It just slipped my mind when I did his race prep. It's yeah. my fault. I still feel bad about it. Yeah. And he made it through, and he did yeah. an 823. Great job yeah. to him. That was impressive. So yeah. uh, 823 or 826, I forget. He's in the 820s. Yeah, either way. Mm -hmm. um, but stuff like that, and you just have to make sure that you know your mechanic knows this is your A race. So check everything. No surprises. Don't leave anything. Totally. Grips is one too that yep. you know. Make sure that you know if your rider likes to have grips that are a little worn in, mm -hmm. or if they want grips that are fresh. If it's like an XC dude and he's got ESIs. You really can't replace those things often enough, right? No, you can't. Um, so, and they're pretty cheap. You know, a ten dollar set of grips is, or twelve dollars, or whatever. It's pretty yeah. cheap. And then on, but. and the other thing is also uh, for an A race, and if it's a different style of terrain, you know, with with this, with Leadville, and then also with Park City Point to Point, we actually asked Keegan Swenson mm -hmm. what tires Jason should be running, mm -hmm. and we asked him this two months ago, mm -hmm. and we prepped. Jason by putting him on these so he had plenty of time to get used to these tires instead of just putting brand new tires and saying go race Leadville totally so he knows the tires he knows their grip patterns he knows their rolling resistance and he's ready once he gets to Leadville he's not surprised by anything awesome another thing that is really important to check are brakes oh, and brake pads bleeds everything if this is a traveling race mm -hmm. you seriously can't I can't stress enough how important it is to make sure that you have no air in those brakes. Yes. Because there were so many people that were arriving at Leadville with the massive pressure changes and everything else, and they flew somewhere, and they have all that to deal with. And then they were showing up, and so many people have brake problems because of the crazy elevation change they're dealing with and all the pressure changes. Because any small air that wasn't causing you a problem before then manifests itself. It pulls up to that lever or something else like that, and then you just get a completely soft yeah. lever. I actually did that on the scalpel before I went up to Coeur lane. I, even though my brakes are perfect, I made sure by bleeding them again, yeah. making sure they're perfect. It's a really good idea yeah. on the mechanical side of things. The other thing is check sidewalls of tires yep. and then check everything else like go through. And this is why the bike should be clean. So if you're a support crew member, offer to clean that bike, even if their bike is already looking cleanish, yeah. offer to clean it because in that putting eyes on everything and hands exactly. on exactly, and yeah. then that's when you can really see if oh, actually your tire has a sidewall tear. You couldn't tell because it was dusty mm -hmm. and the whole tire was dusty, but there is like a small sidewall tear, and you know one good hard hit, and that thing's going to give way. Yep. So it's a really good uh, if you're the support crew person, make sure that you are. If you don't know enough to be able to you know, analyze all of that, make sure you bring it to the, to the mechanic that really can. Yeah. And if you can take that off the rider's mind, yes. because that's going to really help. Totally. So, um, 
The worst thing you could do though, is be a person that isn't very mechanically inclined and then tell the rider, no, it's okay. I looked over it. Cause then that's just going to make them even more worried. Yeah. So, um, okay. Uh, nutrition side of things. Uh, I'm thinking back to 2015 national championships, uh, in mammoth and bless my wife. She was so kind to constantly be making meals. And she like, she basically told me like, okay, I need a menu from you. Mm -hmm. And this is like a couple weeks before she's like, I need a menu of all the things that you want to eat during that race. And not even just during the race, race but weekend. during that weekend. Yep. Yeah. The whole weekend. So I, I made a menu and this is exactly what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And then when we got there, she made every single one of those. And that was huge. Uh, most athletes don't understand the importance of pre-race nutrition two days, three days before a race, mm -hmm. uh, especially a big one like this yeah. and especially longer races, because then that, you know, can matter even more and, you know, getting in really high quality food. I'm not just talking about, you know, getting just a massive spaghetti feed, but getting your carbohydrate from fruits and vegetables or from sweet potatoes, from geez, any number of different things that you can get, mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, muesli from different sort of things instead of just oatmeal, maybe, you know, look double IPAs. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Lots of carbs <laughs> there too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, getting your carbohydrate from different sources and making sure that, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's well used. We could deep dive on that and we won't right now, but, uh, it's really nice to have somebody preparing those meals for you beforehand. It yeah. Uh, it's a huge help. And on that same line, hydration, if you are a supporting member of a racer and you're traveling to a race or anything else like that, they should never not have a bottle in their hand. That's kind of like one rule that I live by when I'm coming up to big races that are important or even small races. I, that whole day I have a bottle in my hand. I never go without one. And if I do that, then I'm constantly going to be drinking and taking in what I need. Yeah. And it's also a good idea. If you can talk to that racer, see if they're okay with taking in something that's going to help them actually pack in some electrolytes and sodium a bit beforehand. So mm -hmm. scratch has their daily mix and you can mix that in. And it's something that I like to sip on before races, but yeah. I can forget that sometimes. And I just get a bottle of water at the gas station. And while that's better than nothing, it might not be ideal. So it would be great to have a support, you know, crew, uh, a person telling you like, or do you have your mix? Can I mix that for you? You know, just reminding because the racers are so worried about the race. They never think about the details, you know, Yeah. or maybe they obsess too much, too much over him. Um, I think prepping bottles I found is huge the night before. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we did at Leadville is we actually sharpied every bottle and we labeled them for the specific aid stations for Leadville. Uh, so that way the support crew knew exactly which bottles to have where, because it was a very complex plan in terms of what Nate, our CEO is supposed to be eating and drinking. Yeah. And, uh, so for, and even just, uh, it would be so helpful, even if you just want to do mix and then water and label those appropriately or change the cap colors. So then, you know, you'll know which ones mix or water and your support crew will yeah. something like that. Uh, give your support crew the time and everything that they need to be able to prep those bottles beforehand and then make sure that you guys are on the same page. As far as where, where you're going to put, you know, where you're going to have uh, electrolytes, where you're going to have just water, you know, which yes. one, you know, and, and you need to know the plan, the, the racer's plan of by this age station, I'm going to go through half a bottle of electrolytes and one bottle of water, or yes. I'm going to go through one of each or however it's going to work. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to all know that plan. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about it beforehand. And along those lines too, with race nutrition, uh, we actually did Ziploc bags for each 
aid station with all mm-hmm. the nutrition items that he was supposed to eat at so that point. Just, so you could just repack his. And his, then we labeled them. Yeah. And then that way, when we reached into the cooler to grab everything out, we just grabbed that and then we'd take the contents out and be ready at the aid station, mm-hmm. right? Just to there was no, and- there was no like, oh shoot, I forgot to give you that item, right? Yes. It was already ple- prepped the day before and we labeled each bag. Mm-hmm. And it was very clear at the aid stations, you know, what needed to happen. How many people did you have with you on three? So there's three of you. Okay. Three of us. Yeah. Um, and, and actually kind of getting, we'll get to that actually in a bit because okay. we were like full on NASCAR. Dude, that's how impressive. Jason's family was. He had his three kids and his wife doing it yeah. for him. And they, he was telling me how perfectly they did it, you know, switching awesome. camelbacks back and forth and just, you know, it's the it way to great. do it. Yeah. Um, and along those lines, camelback right there, if you can, if you're the, the race supporter, if you're the crew member, uh, try to convince your rider if they are going to ride with a camelback and it's a long event to, to get two of them yeah, and then allow you to prep one, even borrow one ready. if you had to. Totally. Uh, it's, it can be really helpful, uh, just to be able to swap that pack out if they're going to be using that yeah. rather than filling a reservoir. It's going to take too much time. Exactly. Uh, another thing too, is, uh, if you're that support crew member, pack the cooler the night before, like, uh, coolers are heavy. Uh, you know, you don't need that, that rider to be carrying any, anything that they shouldn't. Yeah. There's an old rule, kind of a maxim that said, like, if you're standing, you should sit. If you're sitting, you should lay down for athletes that are like in the middle of a race or leading up to a race sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. And it's really just constantly getting them focused on maximizing their recovery. So anytime you have something big and heavy, like a cooler and that sort of stuff, offer to take it for the racer um, and let them relax. Um, That would be a good way to do it. Uh, Aid station strategies too are super important. And chances are the athlete will have a good idea or some idea of what needs to happen, but educate yourself independently as well. Because in this case, actually, uh, Nate, our CEO, is extremely detail oriented and he had this whole plan. Then on top of that, we're like, well, in our research, we found that there's actually an alternate aid station. We could use the same strategy, just change the location of one of those stops and it ended up working out well. Gotcha. So it can be really helpful. And along those lines on the aid stations, you know, it may be a really small aid station. The feed zone's really small and Mm -hmm. it's, you know, an XCO race. You're just coming around lap after lap. That's pretty simple. But in the case of Leadville, it's like, quarter mile long aid mm-hmm. stations yeah. lined with like thousands of people. Right. So in those, in that scenario, we told Nate, we said, okay, as early on as possible. And on the left, on the rider's left, we will be located in every aid station. So that way he knew when we were coming into an aid station where we would be. And if we weren't there at the beginning and he would, you know, go through the whole aid station, he would know that, okay, they aren't here at the aid station, something screwed up and they, and he, and you know, they didn't get here in time. So now I'll be able to catch the neutral aid at the end, at least. Gotcha. So it's, it can be a great idea, but make sure that you understand which side they want to take the bottle from. I love taking bottles to the left cause I still keep my throttle hand on the bars mm-hmm. cause I'm ridiculous. Cause you're a moto guy. Yep. Um, even though I don't have a throttle over there. So make sure that you understand which side they want to take those bottles on. If they want to take a musette, make sure that you practice how to hand a musette to a person before you try it. Yes, that was my next word of advice is make sure you practice that because it's hard to get used to. We saw, oh, she felt so bad. Uh, This wife was helping her husband. He was in the front group at Leadville Mm -hmm. and he was riding through super fast and she went to hand him the musette. It snagged his front brake lever. And he had probably like a 20 something mile an hour crash on a gnarly baby head fire road, just God. hard crash. He got up and kept going, but she felt terrible. You and know? even just simple things like bottles, learn oh, how yeah. to give off bottles because totally. that's even difficult. You what watch strategy so many people do you push like? Them. Do you hold it from the bottom, hold it from the top? 
I usually side. I hold it from the top with no fingers locking into the actual nipple of the bottle. I just yep. hold it flat, yep. and I basically try to f- give it forward momentum so that it's a softer impact when their hand grabs it. Yes, it's better. I, I feel like that's the best way to do it. Yeah. If you support it from the bottom, I've seen people do that. It's easy for the bottle to tip over. It is change angle, and then the athlete there's no second chance. It's all gone. Yeah. You know, as soon as you make contact, you can upset it so much that you can't grab it. Exactly. And that's when you start pushing it out of someone's hand. Whereas if I I'm hanging, holding it, mm-hmm. and I've got it moving. Mm-hmm. It's a softer contact. There's less, you know, issue. I'm not, you know, basically feeling that inertia rip it out of my hands like if I was holding it from the bottom. Totally. And I don't have to balance it that way. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. <clears throat> I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. Um, another tip from Keegan Swenson, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, but he actually takes his gels and he puts them, slides them up into the lid a little bit. Then tightens the lid then down. Then tightens them. So, so then, they can just rip them right off. And then when he's at the feed station... <clears throat> Uh, when he puts his bottle in there, you know, he got his bottle and his nutrition every lap. Yep. It's all done. Yep. Right. It's super easy. It is easy. So that's a nice way to, to handle things there. Um, and then when you're running through, like on, um, when you're running through in the air, when the athletes come through that aid station, you have to take into account that they're not just going to need nutrition sometimes. In fact, Nate chose to do a helmet swap in this race. So he was wearing an aero helmet, uh, an aero road helmet okay. for not like a TT helmet. That would have been very weird, but he was wearing an aero road helmet. Like Jeff Bridges and Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and for the majority of it, he was, that was the fine helmet to have. Then on the last section, he the average speed was going to be very slow and it was going to be very hot. He needed more ventilation. So he switched to a ventilated helmet. Um, that Got was it. a smart one to do. Um, but you have to consider the weather. Um, mm-hmm. uh, when you're dealing with jackets, vests, arm warmers, anything like that, you really have to make sure that you are in a situation where you're, uh, don't, if your rider is comfortable switching out a jacket or vest or Mm -hmm. arm warmers on the go, that's great. But if that's the case, make sure that you have a strategy where you can hand them a jacket and maybe it's like you give them the jacket and it's wrapped up with a rubber band, something like that. Yeah. But I've seen people give somebody a jacket and the sleeve drops into the spokes or something yeah. else. It's like wadded that. up in the wheel, whatever. It's yeah. a total pain. Yep. So when you're handing off that stuff, make sure that, you know, it's done so in a clean manner. Yeah. I've actually seen a method. Um, someone did a system where they basically took the left sleeve, mm-hmm. rolled it up and left it open. So the rider came along and literally just put their hand into the sleeve, cool. hand back on the bars. And then they worked on putting it on That's while they're riding business. Right it there. was, it was a lot of skill and it was at a road race too. It was huh. the weirdest thing, but I've wow. seen that happen. So that's impressive. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and a lot of the time what you'll find is that it's easiest just to roll it up in like a tiny little ball. It is. And then just let them take And then it. make sure you keep it unzipped. Yeah. <laughs> Never <laughs> zip it up. Yeah, exactly. Never zip anything up yeah. when you hand it off to them. And always make sure that it's like right side out. Everything's perfect. You don't want to wad things up weird. So it's going to be a pain for them to get it on. Exactly. Um, rewinding a bit and talking about the race day. Um, one thing I want to say is if you can in the morning, cook breakfast for them. Always. Uh, so then they don't have Lots to worry about that. Leave the bathroom available because as we know, bubble guts happen on race day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes racers need a lot of bathroom time okay. <laughs> for a race. Especially ones with dainty stomachs. Yeah, exactly. Jonathan. Um, yeah, you know. Uh, and then also help with registration if possible. In many cases, the rider themselves has to be the one that registers. But actually, you'd be surprised. In a lot of situations, they don't have to. Yeah. So you'll just have to know if there's a registration number they have to have, like, you know, USAC or a confirmation number. Yeah. Just get that there and then go up and take care of that. And that makes it really, that's another thing where it just lets the rider have a process that they follow. Like it's every other day when they're riding and more recovery. Yep. They're not walking around. Yeah. 
it's a much better way to do it. Um, and then the last thing that you want to do too, that I would say is review if you can, when you get to the race and it's like an XCO race or it's like a, anything else like that, or if this is an enduro and they're going to meet you at a specific spot, go look at that specific spot. So yeah. you guys can just know exactly where it is. Even if you planned it beforehand, recon it. Totally. It's a good idea. Recon is key. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the other thing now during the race, uh, I feel like when you line up, be as close to that athlete as needed. Like whatever the athlete decides. Like I know once I'm on the line, I don't, I don't want anybody around me. I don't like somebody, you know, whispering something in my ear to like give me good luck or something. I don't like that. Like I, if I'm, once I decide I'm going to go up to the starting line, it's, it's alone. Your zone. Yeah. It's alone time. Yeah. So find out what your athlete wants and be as close as they need. Right. Mm -hmm. And if that means standing right by them in the, in the start gate, sure. That, that works as long as it's allowed. Right. Um, remember that you can assign and delegate things too. Um, so if you have a situation where it's like, Hey, uh, this person needs to have somebody by them at the start. So I'll be there. Can you be at the aid station just in case? Yeah. Like, because uh, I don't have enough time to get there. Part yeah. of your recon and your planning. Totally. Ask yeah. people to help. It's, it's not a, not a tough thing to do. Yeah. That's one good thing kids are for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say the one good yes. thing. I said one, one good thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, always be early to the aid stations, uh, for us at Leadville. We, so you'd think this would be self-explanatory and I know I'm an idiot for, for screwing this up, but Chad and I, we had everything packed. We took off, we got to the race, we saw Nate off. And then we went to go to the first aid station and we were like, we didn't bring the water. Probably the most important thing that we need to hand up to Nate during this race. We didn't bring it. We left it on the porch at the cabin. Good job. So luckily we had our own individual waters that we were able to fill up the bottles that he had for that one. Got it. But then we had to go to a gas station. Mm-hmm. And then from the gas station, we had to go to the next one. I figured we'd have plenty of time. And then they parked us two miles away from the aid station. Oh, wow. And it was because it was a line of cars the whole way back. Okay. And this is the alternate aid station. So we thought that this was going to be the less crowded one. Not so much. Two miles away. And it was up like a gnarly climb. Okay. So I had to run as like basically like f- at that elevation, the 11,000 feet, Climbing uphill, I had to run, and I think that my Garmin said that I did like a 620 pace running up this hill to get. I can't run a 620 pace on flat ground. <laughs> it was freaking hard, <laughs> and that we barely, barely got there in time. Like wow. we basically got into position, and then Nate showed up. Wow! So like we almost missed him. Mm-hmm. So always be early. After that, at every aid station, we were so early. We yeah. were like, you know, we're not going to be risking that again. Yeah. So always be early to the aid stations. You never know if they're going to change. Um, be calm in aid stations. Everyone gets super amped up. Yeah. You need to be super calm. Cause also, you have to be that calming person for the racer too, to help them calm down. Yeah. And then you'll notice things like I'm holding the bottle wrong, you know, like, or I'm doing X, Y, and Z wrong yeah. when I should. And, and if you're really like, you know, amped up, you won't, you won't notice that. So it's a good way to stay calm to, to make sure you notice that Yeah, things that the pit crew can do when you pull in for that pit stop. Uh, like you were mentioning Jason Saul and his family. Yeah. Um, we saw one family from, uh, they, they were awesome. They let us kind of hang out under their tent and support Nate from that same position. And the, one of the sons was the sunglass taker and cleaner. Mm-hmm. Another son was the chain luber. The other one was the saddle lifter. 
So he actually lifted up the saddle while the other one would, would lube the lube chain. The, chain. Yeah. the other one, the, there's a math, there's a group of families, the other one, and yes, they were Mormons, So lots of kids at the other one, they were rolling the the chain or the cr- cranks backwards. So then the chain could be lubed properly. Yeah. Another one was taking trash out. Another one was putting new nutrition in. Then another one was changing out bottles. Damn. And then I jumped in there for this guy and I was pouring water on him with another bottle. So not like, on his crew. Like, good job no, guys. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> not like cat, yeah, not like cat. No, yeah. on him. So, and it was super cool, like really efficient stops. And with Nate, what we would do is, uh, we had a, a gentleman named Brandon with us and he was a great help. And what he did was he, his job was to hand out bottles mm-hmm. uh, to Nate and take his old bottles. So he did that every time. My job was nutrition. Mm-hmm. And then Chad's job was generally going through and helping him with putting something on, changing the helmet, getting rid of the camel back, something like that. And wax chain life eliminated the need for any help there. Exactly. So that eliminated two people. Yep. So in a long race like that, you need to have a crew and it needs to be trained. Yeah. And and if, it's, if it's a short race, make sure that you're trained just in case something happens, but yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, in terms of that too, in the aid station, carry spares at Leadville. They said that you couldn't carry any spare wheels. You couldn't do a wheel swap for some reason with Leadville is what they were saying. Okay. But there were plenty of people doing lead wheel swaps there or having wheels there. Gotcha. But make sure you have wheels or tires or tubes or anything else, whatever they're carrying on their person, you should at least have. And then some spare bikes. Yes, indeed. Yep. Yeah. Spare, especially if it's cyclocross. Yeah. Um, and along those lines, if it, if it is cyclocross and your pit crew, you guys really need to chant to practice a bike exchange and being fast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very tricky. So, um, let's see. And not just, here's the other thing. Yeah. Understand the bike that you're working with. If Ooh, you're going to do wheel point. swaps because axle standards, things like that, they're all different. Mm-hmm. So always know the specific bike practice with it for doing wheel swaps mm-hmm. with doing, you know, whatever else, whatever you need to do, just make sure you're versed on that specific bike. I thought of another point. They should, you should ask the rider what suspension settings he has before his race. Because if there's some sort of situation where he says like, I feel like my fork's soft. I feel like my fork's soft. If he can check that right then and reassure the rider, it's where it's supposed to be. Yeah. Then that's going to help that rider calm down. You yeah. just need to know where it is. So rebound compression settings in terms of clickers and then where the air pressure is. One of the things that I do, um, in there's different ways to do it. You can do it with label makers, whatever you can literally write your air pressure, your, you know, high speed, low speed rebound and compression, whatever settings you have, write what clicks you are from full out or full in, however mm-hmm. you do it, just write it, stick it on the, on the actual shock and on the fork so that you have it there. So, you know, this is where it is. So if he says, Hey, my rebounds too slow, you can look at it and be like, Oh, okay. I'm just going to do one click faster. Yep. Super easy. Yeah. Uh, tire pressure. Same goes with that as well. Yep. I usually write a standard tire pressure somewhere on the wheel, like yeah, on the rim. I usually do that. That's a good, so. that's a good tip. Yeah. Um, so always have water. Even if they're asking only for mix, have water too. Then also always have mix, whatever yes. else they, you know, whatever type of hydration or whether it's a carbohydrate mix, whatever it is. Yeah. Then always have something sweet and have something salty. Um, also another good thing is always have a towel. Uh, if it's hot, if it's wet, if it's whatever it is, always have a towel so yeah. then they can clean off or anything else. Make sure it's a soft towel too. Yes. And when need and when needed, have a hat. So then when they're finishing riding, they can wear the hat if they want instead of their helmet. Mm-hmm. And then also have a jacket if it's that sort of situation where they'd need that. Um, and always be early to the finish line. Always. Always. Yeah. So we were like three hours early in, in Nate's case. We were two what? and a half hours early. Nate didn't do a 530? What the hell? He did not. No, he did great God, though. He did great. Sub yeah. nine. So, um, so post-race, once again, it all comes into anticipating needs. 
like after that rider finishes, you need to be the person that says, okay, let's go back to here. You need to guide that person because they don't, they aren't in a right mind state yeah. a lot of the time after a race. So guide the person and give them say, we need to do this and then I'll take care of this. And then you'll be free, you know, free to do whatever you need, Yeah. but make sure that you're guiding them and giving them yeah. like, you've you got know, a chair for them to sit in or a place on the grass exactly. for them to lay down or whatever they want. And you hand them a fresh bottle, you hand them yep. a, a, a fat boy ice cream sandwich, sure. whatever, yes. whatever Sounds they fantastic. want. You just plan this <laughs> yeah. ahead and get it so that when yeah. they're done, yep. they don't have to think about it. Wipes are a great idea to have post-race as well. Um, so then like, like baby wipes. So then they can wipe off their face or whatever else. They're all gunky. Yep. Um, it can really help. Um, offer to clean and pack the bike too, if yep. you're traveling, mm -hmm. uh, and clean that bike soon after the race too. Uh, so then that way that's another stress item that a rider will see their dirty bike and be like, Ugh, like I need to clean that. Yeah. So if you can clean that pretty quickly and pack it, if you can into a bike bag too, for them, that can be really helpful. Yeah. And then remind them about recovery and nutrition, especially if this is a stage race. Don't let them be walking around. Make them sit down. Yeah, make them stop. Yep. Um, and there are certain situations where, like, you know, the the racer will not want to eat and will not want to drink, and you know they need to. And you need to tell them beforehand, if we get into a situation where you're bonked across the line, you won't want to eat and you won't want to drink, but I will make you drink. And that's where you have I'll to use make the mom you or daddy voice. And, and you have to. You have to, you have to yeah. say, look, I don't care. This is what you have to do right now. Yeah. Like, I know you feel sick and you think that if you eat again, you're going to throw up. You need to eat. Yeah. You need to drink, right? Yeah. Um, you need to be the person that has clarity while they're a little foggy. Of course. Um, then the last thing that I would say is, if appropriate, review the race with the athlete. Give them a sounding board. So then they can run through the race. Exactly. Run through the race. That also gives you more insight to what they're thinking during the race. And it's a fresh memory at that yeah. point. So it's technically going to be more accurate and therefore it'll help you plan for the future. And it will help you understand what you may have done right and wrong and what you need to help them prepare for better next time. Yep. Uh, last, last one. You sure? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> Last one, uh, have a phone or camera ready if they're going to do podium picks or they want to take pictures with like their friends they raced with or just any sort of thing yeah. like that. Or have Jonathan from uh, Trainer Road podcast there to take pictures for you. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I did that for so many people that were Trainer Road users. It was yeah. awesome. And I got to like see them come across and pat them on the back. One guy patted on the back and I was like, great job, man. He looked at me he's like, in, in his like cracking post 100 mile Leadville voice, all like delirious, like you're Jonathan. <laughs> like, like, he, like so he did it. the, he did the Simpsons guy. Yeah. 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 It was great. great, man. It was cool. So awesome. Um, so yeah, I, hopefully that's a guide for crewing for people. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard people also say if you're crewing for big races like Leadville or that sort of thing, bring multiple vehicles. It's yes. not a bad idea because you know, you might get one stuck or something might happen. And, yeah. You know, you're out of the way there. Um, yeah, I figure that's it, man. Yeah, I think, you know, and that, that covers a lot of it. You know, there are certain ones like Race Across America or like the Silver State mm -hmm. 508. I've crewed for that twice. Um, and those are a little different and there's going to be different things that you're going to have to do throughout that. But, um, I think generally we did a, I think we did a pretty fair job of, you know, cool. crewing expectations. I think that was good. Cool. Cool. So hopefully it's something to think of. And if somebody, if you're a racer and people aren't crewing for you like this, you can provide a subtle nudge to those people that will crew exactly. for you. If, poop in a group. Yeah. If you are a person that's crewed, hopefully this has helped you gain some perspective on some other things that you could do. Yeah. Um, yeah, good stuff. Let's go into the tips. Sounds good. You don't care they'd count on your tips to live. All right, Stephen, do you want to go first today? 
Sure. Okay. I go first a lot. But I'll go first. Okay. (laughs) So mine's actually an update on a tip. Um, I've had a lot of people really starting to ask. Now we're about, I think, 20 weeks in to having the Lev CI droppers. Yep. Um, You've had a little weird issue on yours, but it was like that from the start. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we just haven't corrected with sending it back to them. Yep. Uh, not um, KS said, yeah, just send it back and we'll swap it out for you, no problem. And so, so your it's basically, issue- And I should, yeah, should we explain what it is? Yeah, let's talk about it. Really so hard. it's basically like uh, the way that their dropper post works is you've got the lower portion, then you've got the stanchion portion mm-hmm. that goes up. And then on top of that stanchion, the way that it hooks onto your saddle is it has basically like a collar mm-hmm. um, and that collar kind of flares up mm-hmm. into being the support for the lower portion of your rails, right? Yes. So that collar has to fit pretty tight on that, the upper part of the stanchion or the upper part of the seat post. It's pressed on. In my case, it's not fully pressed on or there's a problem with the diameter being slightly different, something like that, but there's a bit of movement and it makes some loud creaking Mm -hmm. and also it allows the saddle to change its angle. Yes. So um, they said, yeah, uh, no problem. Send it back. We'll swap it out. That's the only issue. As far as actuation, this dropper post is providing better actuation than any dropper post I've ever had. I have zero squish. I have zero anything like that. I love mine. <laughs> I haven't had a single issue with it. It's surprising because KS is known for, like, they have a reputation for having super bad quality control. But yeah. my RockShox Reverb, that thing goes crazy nonstop, nonstop problems. Yeah. Versus this thing is perfect. Yeah. Now, I still have not had a single problem with my with my Fox Transfer on the my Jekyll from last year. E13, same thing here too. Yeah. You haven't had a problem with that? But I really, really like the actuation. I love the feel. I love everything about that Lev CI dropper has been amazing. Yeah. And I, have I am one so nitpick. I'm so pleasantly surprised. But what's your nitpick? I wish it returned faster. <clears throat> I don't. I actually like how it returns. Okay. I kind of like the reverb slam up sort of a thing. I, I you know ah. I, yeah, I'm good with that. Well, I mean, at least it's not like a command post where it's, you know, putting an apple into low orbit. You know, <laughs> Once but. again, best best dropper post test ever, Art Cyclery. So oh, God. I, and testing I actually, how far an apple, it could toss an apple. <laughs> That's how they ranked them. Yeah. Now, I just did um, I just did the the frame wrapping on that S-Works Enduro in that really beautiful, the the purpley violet blue color. Yeah. And uh, it has the, whatever, the, the command post woo mm. or whatever it is, the yeah, one with the yeah, tilt yeah. on it. Dude, that thing just, the... It picks up the back tire when it tops Holy out. cow. I mean, it moves. They may or may not be mm-hmm. producing a new drop proposal yes. that does not do that, correct? Yeah, supposedly. One might uh, venture such a guess. Yes. If one, I mean, if they're not, they're stupid. Yeah. Not doing that. <laughs> they really should. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm, I'm impressed, man. Yeah. No, I've been super impressed with my Lev CI. Yep. So it's uh, it's been good. I good really like it. Ass. So everybody who's been asking, there's your answer. It's great. Yep. Uh, mine is a preemptive tip. It's a thing that I'm excited about and I haven't used it yet. I've talked to people that have used it. I've used it. You have. Yeah. Okay. It's the co-op pivot. So co-op so cool. bike rack company, mm-hmm. awesome bike racks, uh, in our opinion, the best bike racks, mm-hmm. uh, for you and I, um, they now make something called a pivot. I'm getting a new truck. Uh, it's going to have a camper shell, that sort of thing. I anticipate, uh, many times hanging out on the on the bed of that or on the, the tailgate. You anticipate tailgating. Indeed. This is what rides. it's called. Yeah. yeah. But you can't do that when you have your bikes there. I can lean the bikes down with a co-op rack but for that quick ac- access, yeah. but it doesn't give you like, you know, the, that doesn't give you a full access to the bed. Of course not. But in this case, the co-op pivot allows the bikes to swing basically 90 degrees so that they're sitting to the side of the car yeah. or the truck. So then that way you can access everything completely freely, but still keep your bikes on the racks so and they're not laying down in the dirt, leaning on the truck, something like that. Yep. 
I'm stoked. Uh, I'm going to be giving it a shot once I get the new truck. And It's cool. a heavy chunk of steel, but is it? it is so good. It's going to weigh down the back end of that thing. Of oh, it. yeah. It's like <laughs> 74 pounds on its own. <laughs> it's all made of steel. But uh, the thing is, you can put a Kuat NV 2.04 bike on there with 40-pound bikes, and they won't move. Wow. It's a rad rack system. It yeah. is so cool. Yeah. So I'm stoked to give that a shot. So Good. It'll be cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Thanks everybody for joining us. Remember this is uh, presented by worldwide cyclery. So thank you to them for making the podcast possible. They're nice ladies <laughs> and, and men. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they, uh, they, if you want to get anything from worldwide cyclery and support the podcast, the best way to do it is to go to, uh, go to the store, click on the banner. Uh, but also the best way to support the podcast is to share it with your friends. Yes. And if you share it with them, then that gets more listeners and then we can help more people and this world is a better place. Yes. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.